At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to Three Yards Per Carry. I'm Alfredo Arteaga. I do have Simon Clancy here with me this week, and of course, Chris Kaufman. All right, guys, another week of draft intrigue, more Calamari talk. We now have three mock drafts. Charlie Casserly just released his. Todd McShay had released his, and Mel Kuyper mm-hmm. released his yesterday. And all three have Kyler Murray to the Miami Dolphins at 13. Since you're the resident Kyler Murray historian here, Chris, what do you make of this? Is this, is this realistic? No, it's not. I mean, he's not going to be there at 13. But um, I, I think it's more than just those three. I Honestly, I think I, – I know that I've read at least two or three other – guys who are very typical in the draft space do a mock draft and have Miami Dolphins taking Kyler Murray but um it's not realistic he's gonna go to the combine I mean this is this is very Cam Newton Uh, Simon and I did a ton of work on Cam Newton leading up to the 2011 draft not really leading up to it we did it in January essentially did a large large piece uh for the Sun Sentinel uh for Dave Hyde's blog and you know we where we talked about we said hey this guy this guy's a number one overall talent and um at that time uh, it was huge running topic of debate among dolphins fans because we were picking number 15 overall then it was like oh are we gonna should we take cam newton should we you know nah i don't think like you know half the half the fan base was like nah he's not really a first round pick he's not really worth taking at 15 overall and then uh not too long after we release our piece the combine is happening and and there's a there's a survey among gms and over half of them are like yeah he's going number one overall (laughs) he's the number one overall pick and um and i think that the similar thing is happening right now with kyler murray where yeah we're spinning our wheels and we're as a dolphins fan base we're like yeah should we take him should we not take him and and some of us are getting you know super hot on him and then it's just going to be moot because uh because he'll he'll end up one way or another going number one overall or top four or so, somewhere that's like just either out of reach totally or you know to where it, it stretches Miami's resources beyond the breaking point to try to uh, to try to trade up to there and it becomes moot anyway. Mm-hmm. So I mean this is that that's where this is heading, which is what I think will happen. Yeah, Simon. Yeah, I mean I agree. I don't think he's he won't last till thirteen. Um, and I think we knew that all along. Uh, we've talked about it for for long enough. Um, and certainly, Chris and I have talked privately about that fact, and that you know, he is what he is, which is, you know, he's three inches short of being the number one overall pick without even a question. So, um, you know, and we know the concerns, but we also know the the the, the skill set. I mean, I don't. It's interesting to me as to how it's all going to play out, and I think probably a team will dr- will trade into the top five to take him whether or not that's the, you know, whether the Raiders trade even higher, whether it's the the Giants move up, the Jags, you know, you look at the Broncos, you look at the Bengals, you know, Zach Taylor, Andy Dalton, you know, that's a franchise going nowhere fast. Obviously Miami, but I, I, I don't think, and I'll touch upon it in a sec, but I don't think the Dolphins are moving up anywhere. You look at Washington, you know, you may even look at Pittsburgh, New England or the other team who potentially could, you know, they've got an awful lot of picks in the top three rounds. Um, 
you know, uh, but I, I think, there, there, I mean, there's zero, unless he injures himself or his arm falls off or something, there's no way he's going to last at 13 if Miami want him, they're going to have to move up. Uh, I, I've been indicated from uh, somebody who's relatively close to the situation that um, I, I don't think Miami will move up and actually will get to him. Uh, I think there's an element that thinks that Miami is very, very comfortable in a situation where they may find themselves with the possibility of four, five, depending on Jacob Eason and Jordan Love and those guys. And, you know, where we sit here now, if, if people continue to progress with no injuries, I, I, I have been indicated that Miami are very comfortable with what will happen this time next year in terms of, yeah, Tua looks like he could be a tra- potentially transcendent prospect. Miami are very comfortable with Justin Herbert. We know that... We know that Mike Tanaban went to see him at least seven times last season. Um, you don't just do that for for shits and giggles, especially to to the West Coast. Then you've got Jake Fromm, obviously, who's developing, you know, hard and fast at, at Georgia and was tremendous, certainly down the stretch. So, you know, I think um, I, I do think if Miami doesn't get its hands on Kyler Murray, and I don't think it will be possible to do so without moving up, ergo, I don't think they'll get their hands on him at all. I think that there will be a rebuilding process either along both lines or in the secondary, given how how much that New England defence is predicated on secondary play. Um, that's just how I feel about it. That's just sort of some of the indications that I've got. But, I, you know, I would be surprised if Miami ends up with Kyler Murray. Now, during all this hype, the guy that's getting completely ignored is Dwayne Haskins. Now, not too long ago, he was considered a top four prospect. And Kyler Murray was barely a first-round prospect, according to a lot of the NFL intelligentsia. Would you have any inkling to drafting Dwayne Haskins if he dropped to 13, Simon? I mean, I I don't – I I certainly don't take what the inverted commas NFL intelligentsia says in December, (laughs) January time, because that's just bullshit, frankly. It's just smoke. People don't know. You know, you – you know, and as much as we all like doing mock drafts, people don't know. So much is going to change. I mean, have you ever have you ever come across anybody who's ever done a mock draft that's even been seventy five percent right? You know, in in January or close. February, not even. Not even I mean, if you get three picks right, I think you're doing well. Given the amount, especially the way that teams have been, you know, trade up and down the board these days and things. Um, I, I like Haskins a lot. I thought he had a very uh, very good season. I thought he started well. Um, I watched him intently against Penn State and he threw up some concerns in the first half, was terrific in the second half. Those concerns being um, he doesn't particularly handle pressure well. Uh, he's not mobile at all, but he's big. I think he's very accurate. Um, he makes NFL throws. He throws people open. He throws on time. He doesn't have a massive arm, but his arm is more than big enough. He's big. Um I thought he was tremendous against TCU. I, I thought he was tremendous down the stretch uh, against Michigan. I thought he was outstanding. Um, I thought uh, in the bowl game he was outstanding. Uh, I thought he did a great job to come back and sort of keep Ohio State's playoff hopes alive against Maryland, where it almost felt like he was carrying the team up and down the field as Maryland just, the Ohio State just couldn't get off the field. And it was almost left to him down after down after down, drive after drive to, to bring the team back. And he didn't play brilliantly in terms of he wasn't, zinging ball but he was doing enough and I thought that really showed some moxie I saw him firsthand uh, from the sideline against Michigan State and he was awful um, I didn't think he played very well it was very cold that day Michigan State struggled Michigan State decent defense but all, all the court Rocky Lombardi and Brian Lewerke struggled as well it was like, as I said it was like throwing a brick around um, it was a poor game and he played very poorly but what I liked about him was that he dug his way back from a sort of a bit of a blip mid-season. He's inexperienced. He's only played one season. I don't think you want to start him, you know, overall uh, on the opening day of the season. But I do think he's got upside. And I do feel like, you know, there's going to be a situation where, you know, if somebody does move into the top 10, do the Giants put off the Eli Manning decision one more year? Does Nick Foles end up in Philadelphia? Because so much is going to change with free agency and the trades. It feels like Nick Foles is the perfect fit in Jacksonville. Um did I say Philadelphia? It's late. Um, Nick Foles is going to end up in Jacksonville, potentially. Um, so what do the Giants do? What do Washington do, for example? Well, if, if Dwayne Haskins is on the board at 11, you know, if you're the Washington Redskins, you've got to be thinking, I need to get in front of Miami to, you know, with Alex Smith's 
uh, situation, given that horrendous broken leg up in the air, the fact that he may not even play next season, Dwayne Haskins would look like an absolutely, you know, perfect selection for for for, for Washington and for 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 Jay Gruden. So again, I, I think he's a very intriguing prospect. I I suspect he probably doesn't get to thirteen, and part of me thinks as as drastic as the NFL intelligentsia, those people again would would make out if Miami were to pass on him. I don't think you should be forced into taking a quarterback just because he's there because you don't, you know, if you don't particularly like him or if you feel like actually our chances are better served in 12 months' time and we're, we're happy with the path that we're going on. I don't feel like you should be forced into taking somebody because that's what the NFL believes, you know, that's what Twitter believes that you should do. You, you take a guy if you love him, especially at that position, you don't force it because you feel like that's what everybody else expects you to do. Uh, and it feels very much like Miami have a plan, um, you know, and that, that plan will harden and uh, and become more resolute as we get towards the draft. But if Dwayne Haskins is not part of that plan, then then, then so be it. I think people should be um, shouldn't be surprised if they ignored him. Um, it, were he there, and again, much like Kyler Murray, I would be very surprised if he was there, just given the nature of. Of quarterbacks, I know what you think, Chris, because you know we've obviously had this subject off air as well. This conversation, mm-hmm. I think that um, this is the guy probably that's more relevant to discuss at possible as possibly being there at thirteen yeah. than Kyler Murray. I think that Kyler Murray is not going to be there at thirteen, but that Dwayne Haskins might be because the way this is all shaking out, the way the the way everything lays, uh, you know, one the one reason that everybody has had Dwayne Haskins up high until now, I think, has been because they just assume that the New York Giants are going to take him. Mm-hmm. And I think that the New York Giants fan base clearly want that to happen. And, you know, maybe there's some reason to believe that the Giants are onto him. I don't know. I'm not sure if that's actually based on anything solid. Um, if if they don't, though, the Jags are going to take – the Jags are getting Nick Foles in the in, – free agency we're agreed on that like that's that's probably what's going to happen the Denver Broncos just got Joe Flacco and so they're not feeling urgent about this year Peter King made sure to say that you know John Elway his quote is that he's sure to take a quarterback this year or next year not not necessarily this year um and the rumor is that they really love Drew Locke anyway and that's been rumored since I was sitting next to some Denver Broncos insiders at the uh, Shrine practices, we were talking about it, and he's like, you know, John Elway is absolutely in love with, with Drew Locke. And, um, and so if, if that's the case, then it's really the Giants, unless the, the Bengals decide, to, decide that they've got to do it. And, you know, the Giants pass. If the Giants don't love him as much as their fan base does, then he goes tumbling down the board probably all the way to Miami's pick at 13. I, that's what I think. And and it could easily happen that way because the Giants passed on Sam Darnold last year. They passed on, you know, Josh Rosen and Josh Allen as well. And maybe they just have certain standards about their quarterbacks. Like Eli Manning looks like he's probably going to be back in, in town again this year. So maybe they don't feel urgent. Maybe just like Simon mentions about Miami, like feeling comfortable about next year's quarterbacks class. Well, what if everybody does? <laughs> what if everybody feels comfortable about next year's quarterbacks class, including the New York Giants? Then Dwayne Haskins goes tumbling down the board. Now, why was he up there in the first place? I thought that was premature. I thought that was premature to put him in that top five area. I didn't think that he was worthy of that as a prospect. I've, I've always liked him. Um, I've had a hard time really loving him as a prospect. Uh, we've talked about, we've been talking about him since the very beginning of the year. But he's he's hyper accurate. You know, he, he his timing is fantastic. He um he throws with a lot of anticipation and trust, particularly trust in his receivers, and um and he reads the defense well. He does a lot of a lot of things really really well. But as Simon mentioned, against pressure, he has this tendency to look very heavy limbed. You know, like his feet are heavy, um, mm-hmm. and his arm is heavy, and you know that and he's not moving he's not quick twitch that way and he can and so he has a hard time resetting and doing things against pressure and doing things with a trashy you know trash in the pocket um and then the other thing is that I've always said is listen I mean I would 
I'm not sure what his true arm strength is or not, but I know that on the field, so for much of this year, he hasn't been showing it, or he hasn't been showing NFL throwing power and velocity. Uh, He's throwing a lot of touch passes out there, a lot of, um, you know, accurate he's going for accuracy not necessarily power and he's not showing the velocity that nfl teams will ask him to show at the next level at the next level they're going to ask him to to wing it to squeeze it and um and you never know what happens when the guy is asked to do that until he goes out there and does it you know will greer at the senior bowl tried to throw with a lot of power to impress the nfl scouts and he kind of came apart and, and so if Dwayne Haskins – now, I will say this against Northwestern, which is probably the most impressive game I've seen him have all year. Um, Northwestern, he did throw with that power and that velocity that the NFL wants. And he had maybe the best game he's had all year. So that's the, that's the tantalizing aspect of Dwayne Haskins. Um, but, you know, do it more – this is one game, one year. I mean, that's the problem with a one-year guy, right? You've only – You've only seen him one season. You want to see him go season to season and and see, really get a lot more input, and you don't have that with Dwayne Haskins. So I don't know that I would put him in that top five area. I think it's going to be a, a, a really wicked question for Miami at 13 because if they are focused on, or on 2020 and the quarterback's class there and Justin Herbert, who I think is probably the, the guy that is most likely to be their target in that class – then, then maybe they'd pass on Dwayne Haskins too. And maybe uh, maybe the Washington Redskins, they leave him for the Redskins at uh, wherever they're picking, 15 or something and like I, that. I, I think fans' expectations should be that it, it, if that's the decision that the team – because you can imagine what will happen if Haskins is on the board at 13 and the Dolphins pass on him. Oh, yeah. You, you know full well what's coming. There will be an absolute meltdown, both from fandom and from, you know – analysts and pundits and those sorts of things who will absolutely bury the Dolphins for doing so. But like I said, I don't think you should be, you shouldn't fall into the trap of thinking that you have to take a guy if that doesn't fit your scheme, your plan, your idea. And I I would commend the team for doing that if that's what, because clearly if they did pass him, they would be doing so for a reason, not to be obsequious or anything. That's just Mm -hmm. how it would be. I think the other name that we kind of need to throw in because he's been talked about so much in the top 10 area mainly because he's been linked with the Denver Broncos, is Drew Locke. I mean, there is, yeah. you know, he is going to be a guy that that has an appeal. You know, I know Alf, certainly mid-season, we've had a, we had a conversation, the three of us, you know, Alf was was very high on, on Locke. And, and the he other does two flash. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, a little bit. But, you know, he does flash, you know, he does flash NFL-level ability. You know, he also flashes utter retardation at times that makes... <laughs> You know, the infuriates. But look, lots of really good NFL quarterbacks were annoyingly annoying at times in college, made stupid decisions, made bad throws, and mm-hmm. fell into bad habits. You know, the simplification of his offense concerns all of us, but there is legitimate NFL talent there. And it's clear that people are viewing him in the top 15 to 18 area, much more now so than Daniel Jones, obviously much more so than Will Greer. It feels like three quarterbacks have separated themselves from the field, and it's clearly these three. And look, there is talent to like there. You know, he is going to be appealing to somebody because he has that Brett Favre-type wow to his game. Yeah, the very best of Drew Locke is pretty damn good. Now, let me say this. Last year, we had ideas about Josh Rosen and Josh Allen. Is Dwayne Haskins and Drew Locke in the class of those two guys as a prospect? I'll go to you first, Simon. Uh, who did you say, Josh Rosen, and who? And Josh Allen. Um, 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 that's a good question. It's hmm. a good question. I, I don't think so. Um, and I'm not a massive Allen fan. I do like Rosen, um, and I, I think it would be intriguing if Arizona decided to deal Rosen, despite the protestations of, of Cliff Kingsbury. Um, just in terms of where he ended up, because I don't think, you know, I don't think he had a great year, but you look at the surrounding cast, it was difficult offensive line and receiver and tight end core. Obviously, David Johnson, but, you know, Johnson coming back off the injury. Um, Allen had a very up and down season and then sort of managed to turn it around sort of down the stretch, especially with his legs, really, which sort of opened up things in the passing game a little bit more for him, um, but wasn't great. Um, uh, it's a difficult one. 
it is a difficult one because there's not a lot of experience when you talk about Haskins. Locke has more experience, but, but you know, some more brain farts that you possibly didn't see quite as much from 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 the two Joshes. So I'd probably say that the the Joshes were one out, um, but perhaps the upside, long term upside of Haskins. You know, I know Chris is high on on Alan and the potential upside, although you know it feels like there's a lot of work to be done to to really get to the level that you hope he might do. Um, I still think Rosen might end up being the best of all of them, actually, um, in time. But we'll just have to wait and see. I, I, I would be intrigued to see if he got thrown out into the, the mix as to whether or not. But then, you know, the Dolphins didn't seem particularly thrilled on on potentially taking him last year. So, And, and it's pretty much the same front office as it was 12 months ago. So why would they be interested? So I, I think probably the two Joshes would, would take it for me. Um, and I think Locke's sort of brain fartedness is the thing that holds me back from saying it for the other two and, and Haskins' experience, really. I think that, I mean, if I were to compare Drew Locke to, let's say, Josh Allen, um, obviously there's, there's kind of a, there's kind of like a screw-up quality of both of them, right? Um, and Josh Allen and, and Drew Locke as well. But the difference is that Josh Allen is just absolutely otherworldly talent level as far as his arm and his legs, his full body uh, strength, mobility, everything. And, and Drew Locke is impressive but doesn't have that. And yeah. I think that um, if you were to compare, I think Josh, Josh Rosen versus Dwayne Haskins is actually an interesting comparison as well. Uh, and if you do look at that, I think that Josh Rosen did a lot more uh, resetting his feet with trash at his feet and, um, and under pressure. And he was not known as a mobile guy, certainly, right? Um, he's not a fast guy. But he did more with, with that sort of pressure and that, and that sort of trash at his feet than I think you've seen Dwayne Haskins do for much of the year. And, um, and, and there was no I – mean, I never had any questions about Josh Rosen's throwing power or his, uh, his velocity or anything like that because um, it, it was all over, you know, pretty much every game, not just you have to find the one game in the, in the 14 that, where he shows it. You know, so I, I think that I would – Josh Rosen kind of a superior version of Dwayne Haskins to me and Josh Allen a superior version of Drew Locke. So, um, so yeah, you, you take both of those above, as you say, the two Joshes above Dwayne and Drew. But the question, of course, then becomes, if the Cardinals do the thing that everybody is kind of saying that they're going to do because it's a good storyline, but that the Cardinals themselves are like, we're not even close to thinking about this. But if they're lying <laughs> and they take Kyler Murray and, and now they've got to deal Josh Rosen, Simon, you're pretty high on him. You're mm. pretty high on John. Yeah, that was a question I asked. I asked Chris last week, and we're almost like a married couple because I was going to ask that <laughs> question right now, and Chris stole my thunder. So I'll steal <laughs> it right back, and I'll ask it of you, Simon. Okay, Kyler Murray goes number one. Obviously, that's a mm. surplus of young quarterbacks. And if you take Kyler Murray number one this year, then you kind of know that that is the future. And Josh Rosen is just standing there staring around and without a job. Mm. Do you send number 13 to Arizona for Josh Rosen? I'd certainly think about it. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see the New York Giants be involved in a Josh Rosen. I mean, I was reading a couple of days ago um, from Manny Schmetta, who was talking about how the Giants were intrigued, very intrigued in Rosen. Um, and they certainly kept that under wraps a little bit because there was a talk of Donald and whatever, and obviously they, they, they went for Sam Barkley, uh, Saquon Barkley in the end. Um, but I, I would, you know, he didn't have a great year, let's be honest, you know, but then I, I don't think many people would have a, a fantastic year behind that offensive yeah, line. Yeah, I know. And I think probably may, I know, I, I, 100%. And I think people are certainly overplaying his uh, bust ability and his mm. bad year. I think he completed sort of 56, 57% of his passes. Um, his quarterback rating wasn't great, but the offensive line was abysmal. Um, you know, he was getting hit or sacked an awful lot. Receivers, you know, Larry Fitzgerald is is a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he's also, you know, 109 years old. And, you know, it, that that's a struggle when you're, you know, you know the ball's going to Fitzgerald and he's double covered or they roll a safety over the top or whatever. That's not an easy assignment for anybody, especially when a quarterback's running for his life. Um, uh, it's, 
I mean, I'm kind of hedging my bets here. I, I would be intrigued in that situation. I really would be. And, but I wonder whether or not Miami, who weren't, didn't seem to be particularly, you know, enamoured with, with Rosen last year when he started to fall into our direction, whether or not we are. I might do it. I don't think the Dolphins would do it. I don't, I don't think I would, would do it personally. And, and the reason, you know, I was kind of more on the marginal side on Josh Rosen last year at the number 11 pick which is to say I'd, I'd very much consider taking him there. But um, I'm, not, I'm not positive I would uh, have done it either. Uh, I think that, it, you know, hey, I, I realize that his rookie season is a rookie season, and rookie quarterback seasons are typically not good. But at the same time, you know, it, just because it's not a conclusive incremental data point doesn't mean that it's totally irrelevant either. Um, and I think that he could have come out and had a great rookie season. I mean, it's happened. He didn't. Uh, and so you kind of go back and you update what you thought of the guy with some new information. And um, based on that, you know, it's just it's, it's not worth that number 13 to me. I get more interested if we're talking about the second round pick. Sure. But, uh, but at, the, at number 13, you know, then I start to think about the, the fact that Miami doesn't care about 2019's record. You know, and that uh, that we are talking about the 2020 quarterbacks and Justin Herbert, and and you know maybe even to attack a Tagovailoa if they strike the lottery. I start thinking about that, and I'm like, well, you know, nah, I'll hold off. I'll hold off. I would not. I would not be surprised. And you and I have had this conversation, but if Jake Rudock was our starting quarterback this season, yeah, that's I right. would not be surprised at all. I'd be awful. I <laughs> yeah, I'd be horrified. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, you know, what well, I would be less horrified. I think there are worse options <laughs> than him, frankly. But um, and I actually think Brock Osweiler. That, yeah, I think Brock, Brock Osweiler is a worse option than Jake Rudock. Actually, I, I think in the modern, I think in the modern game for two reasons. One, he has excellent pocket presence uh, in, in terms of his ability to step up and avoid pressure, and two, he's mobile. Mm. And I think that in the modern game, um. I would take that over Brock Osweiler and the, the rocket arm and the, you know, I, I just would. I mean, I would not be at all surprised if he was a starter. And I think that the team have talked him up. I think they're, they're relatively, not high on him, but I think they're relatively comfortable with him. You know, Jim Caldwell knows him from the days at Detroit. I, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that Jake Rudock is a Miami Dolphin at the moment. And that's, you know, that's probably as high a praise as I can give because I, I feel like he is in the mix to start as quarterback next season, I would not be surprised. Because look, if they really are going to tank in inverted commas, or you know, it's not going to be a great season, it's going to be a managed decline, whatever you want to talk about it, you don't want to sign Tyrod Taylor, or you don't want to be involved in the Nick Foles derby. Because Nick Foles will win you seven or eight games. Yeah. Tyrod Taylor will win you five, six games. You know, that take that'll take you out of the race for Tua Tonga Vailoa. That mm-hmm. will, might take you out of the race for, for Justin Herbert. Yeah, but that's not all of a sudden Let's not forget that Brock Osweiler went two and three last year. Well, but that's still, you know, that's yeah. still two games. Uh, if that's two wins over five games, that's two more wins over 10 games. That's two more wins over 15 games. That's six well, wins already. That's sort of why, so that, that's sort of why I, I, I yeah. went on a rant thinking that we're not going to, we're not going to, it's not as realistic as I think a lot of people think to get to it because hmm. first off, um, if a trade is even on the table, which I very much doubt it is, because I think there are 20-plus teams out there that could find themselves with that number one overall pick and are like, you know, yeah, I, I would very much like to get the next franchise quarterback of the next, um, you know, 10-plus years, the next Andrew Luck-type prospect in this draft, which is where I think, Simon, you've got to a, a, yeah, as a prospect rated, rated that high. And I think so many teams out there would – would not even put it up for sale because they're like, you know, listen, we've got an aging quarterback inventory out there. Think about that. Think about like how Ben Roethlisberger and Phil Rivers and Tom yeah. Brady and Drew Brees and all these guys are really, and Aaron Rodgers even, are all really old. And think about the situations where that team could find themselves picking number one overall. It means that not only are those quarterbacks old, they either sucked really badly or they got hurt. I you mean, know, you and look- and Raiders. if they get hurt, then it's over. Then, exactly. then they're going to take Tua. Exactly. Yeah. Raiders, Buccaneers, Giants, mm-hmm. Jaguars, Lions, straight off the bat, 
five teams there. Raiders with Derek Carr, Mike Mayock, John Gruden. Who knows what's going to happen there? Peter King reported interest in Kyler Murray. But, you know, unless Derek Carr, and as good as he was in the second half of the season, unless Derek Carr comes out mm-hmm. and sets the world alight, they're going to be in for Tua. Buccaneers, yep. Jameis Winston is essentially on a one-year deal with Bruce Arians, who, who loves Winston. They're very close, but, you know, this is do or die. The Giants, obviously, Eli is, what, 38, 39 years old. It's yep. either now, it's either this year or next year. Mm-hmm. Same with the Jaguars. We talked about Nick Foles. You know, that looks like it's going to happen. But Nick Foles, you know, is 31, 32, has talked about retiring And if they end the up past. picking number one overall, it means that sucked. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> The Lions, you know, we've, we've heard rumours that Matthew Stafford is not long for necessarily, you know, wouldn't surprise me if the Lions got rid of Matthew Stafford, you know, even in this offseason. Then you look at Buffalo, they've got their quarterback, Denver, obviously with, with Joe Flacco, who's 30-some-odd. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Bengals, we've already talked about the Andy Dalton situation. You know, they are a team that could be the first overall pick next year without even a, you know, Aaron Rodgers is 36. Then there's the Dolphins. Then there's, a, then there's Washington. And all you know, there's nine teams straight off the bat. Pittsburgh, ten, you know, and then you, you England, you're heading down, England, you're heading down towards the Patriots and the Chargers. Yeah. Absolutely, because these because you got it. Like I said, you got the aging quarterback in, inventory out there, but also just think about the situation in which a team would have to find themselves in order to be picking number one. They just went through an immensely crappy season, like one in 15 or something like, or two and 14. And what would have to happen in order for that to happen would either be their quarterback this year was very, very disappointing or their quarterback got injured really all year. And if in either situation, I mean, if you really run down the list and I've done this before with all 32 teams, if you really run down the list and try and, and weed out which particular situations are uh, to a proof if you will like you know it's basically like pat mahomes okay if they somehow find themselves the chiefs find themselves one and 15 for some reason like pat mahomes got hurt this year and and they were just awful then they're not going to take to it they're going to trade the pick and get it you know baker mayfield you know the cleveland browns if they if baker gets hurt all year and once again they find themselves in number one overall they're not going to take to it they're probably going to trade the the pick for a boatload of picks but really if you get down to it there's probably only like six to eight other situations that you could say um you know are maybe probably to a proof but also maybe not <laughs> you know so i i think i think the chances are that whoever has that pick is not going to have it for sale and if they do then you're talking probably four first round picks for it yeah it's it's justin herbert yeah, or the one caveat is the year after, which uh, is the Trevor Lawrence derby. Right, right on. Which again yeah. is another lottery, though. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It's as big a it's as big a lottery as uh, as you can have. Now, I wonder what the price would be on the Miami mm-hmm. Dolphins getting the uh, first overall pick next year, or winning the Trevor Lawrence derby, which is never going to happen. But I suspect you could find out with our good partners at BetDSI.com. There is no football anymore for you to go down to your do you have bookmakers in the states do you have betting shops yes but they're all in do las you? vegas okay. but the uh, supreme court has deemed it oh, of course, yes. legal to have have them in every state of the union the only thing is every legislature now has to approve it there you go well you can take your sporting knowledge to the bank at betdsi.com 20 plus years online great impeccable reputation for service and fast payment of your winnings great mobile interface for you to do as i'm doing right now sit on the couch uh, well sit on the couch and bet i'm sitting on the couch and talking to these two gangsters but anyway um to help you get started uh, with some extra bang for your buck they're offering you double your money on your first deposit so deposit now start winning and get up to two and a half thousand dollars for free double your money from the get-go and when it comes to football the nfl college football i'm sure you can bet on the alliance of american football bet dsi has every wager you could ever imagine if it's happening in sport then they will have a line on it the nfl the ncaa obviously but major league baseball when it returns basketball march madness is closing in undoubtedly the the culmination of the premier league season uh, over here in europe um esports pretty much everything you could think of i'm sure they'll do kabaddi and skiing if you're really into those sorts of things Um, And you can bet on games whilst they're going on with their live betting. Now, we have a promo code, which is YARDS101. That's YARDS101, which will help you essentially 
get money off, really. Uh, so, yes, betdsi.com is your betting partner. Check them out. They've been fantastic for us. They will be fantastic for you. That is the future of betting, I'm sure. Right. After the break, we shall be back with a little bit of news because there has been some stuff going on, including a new man in the Dolphins' front office. Hi, this is Craig Mish from Swings and Mishes here on the Five Reasons Podcast Network. Just in case you missed any of our podcasts in the past, here's what you missed. We have been um, extremely aggressive in in trying to acquire additional uh, international dollars, not just for, you know, uh, potential free agents with two first names. It's nice that that ownership is, is fully supportive and allowing us to, to, to do everything in our power um, to be um, the best team in, in, in this region, in the gateway to America, and, and, and for Miami to become a destination spot for, for all Latin players uh, because, you know, this is such an international city. Hey, it's Seth Levitt here from the Fish Tank with my main man. O.J. McDuffie, the Juice. And Juice, we've got a special guest over the next two weeks in the tank. What's up, everybody? It's Pat Sertan, and I'm officially diving into the Fish Tank. If he was better than Peyton, he definitely wasn't better than me. Oh, there we go. So that's what I wanted wanted to get get at. That's where we're going with it. Did you Mm -hmm. and Peyton ever play against each other in high school? Absolutely. Beat him 35-7. Wow. Get out of here. Oh, yeah. I had three rushing and two passing on him, accounting for all five touchdowns. (laughs) How did hands all of them. Yeah. Hey, Pat came so, in here saying he doesn't remember stuff, but he remembers. Oh, I remember that. Make sure you dive into the tank to hear our entire interview with Patrick Sertan here on the Five Reasons Sports Network. You can catch up on what you've missed and hear new episodes every two weeks until July by searching The Fish Tank on Apple Music, Google Play, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever else you find your favorite podcasts. Welcome back to Three Arts Per Count. I'm Simon Clancy with Alfredo Artiaga and Chris Kaufman, as always. So, boys, we've been a little bit in news as we um, as we trickle through the offseason, head towards the combine. Um, but the biggest of which is that the Dolphins have taken the, the uh, decision to bring in the 2016 uh, front office man of the year, or whatever the award was called, the former Oakland Raiders GM, Reggie McKenzie, who brought, amongst others, Derek Carr, the guy who plays defensive end, whose name has completely escaped me, who uh, uh, was then traded to the Bears. Um, uh, Mac. Khalil Mack. Mack. Uh, so yeah, sorry. It's uh, it's half past one in the morning. Um, <laughs> my memory's <laughs> fucked. Um, and Amari others. Cooper? Amari Cooper, obviously. Um, he was sacked. Mike Mayot took over. But McKenzie has joined Chris Greer and Marvin Allen, the new deputy GM, in what feels like a bit of an all-star front office. What do we, uh, what do we make of that? It feels like a good decision. Or does it? <laughs> I think that Reggie McKenzie uh, is I – mean, a lot of people feel it's a good good addition, and I don't think there's any reason to pan it. Uh, I th- it's, it's interesting, though, what you mentioned, you know, sort of this assembling of recognizable names, of, um, of high-quality, high-resume names, uh, Marvin Allen and Reggie McKenzie. Although this one just seems like maybe one too many in as much as, you know, there's got to be some sort of turmoil after the draft is when guys are let go and, um, and move on to, to some new job somewhere. And they're just, there seem like way too many chiefs in, in the, um, in the front office right now between Chris Greer and Reggie McKenzie and Marvin Allen. And it does make me wonder about some of the guys in there and what's going to happen after the draft is done. But uh, until then, you know, this is, this is a qualified, a quality hire and um and his his welcome i thought marvin allen was a great hire too for for chris greer too it didn't work out badly for the browns last year did it when they brought in alonzo highsmith and Mm. they brought in elliot wolf and Mm -hmm. obviously john dorsey feels like a lot of intelligent people in the room very Um, true and alf you were talking about um you know it feels as though it won't be a sort of moratorium that chris greer will be that you know the the Maybe not the decision-making process will be shared out, but there will be, you know, a level of conversation uh, around what happens for the benefit of the team that isn't just a dictator telling everybody this is what we're doing. There will be a a process, I think, is probably the best way of describing it. Absolutely. I think it's going to be more by consensus than we originally thought. Like, uh, when he he got the job, we originally thought that Chris Greer was going to be in charge of everything, 
And if he failed, then obviously he would be fired and a whole new regime would come in. But what we saw right away was when they got Marvin Allen, the, my, the first thought that came to my head was, wow, had we fired everybody, including Chris Greer, Marvin Allen would have been one of my first choices to take over as general manager. That's right. Now you add Reggie McKenzie, and had he been available, he definitely would have been a guy I would have interviewed. So what this tells me is that this is not more – we were talking about this yesterday on, on the WhatsApp chat. This is not King Greer. He's more like a president or head of parliament, let's say. And this will be more done by consensus. Yeah. I don't think it'll be a my way or the highway type thing with Chris Greer. I think he's going to bounce a lot of things off of these two guys because they are eminent. They are eminently qualified, and there I you know it's interesting. Marvin Allen that- is probably a little bit more qualified than Chris Greer because he he has some pretty big successes under cool. his belt. Well, I think that Omar Kelly of the South Florida Sun Sentinel brought up an interesting point, and you know this is this is from him talking to league insiders. But uh, Reggie McKenzie is known as more of a pro personnel guru, and Marvin Allen is more of a college personnel mm-hmm. um, guru. So you know, sort of like covering covering the two bases underneath uh, Chris Greer. It, it kind of it looks good. It has a nice look to it. Can I just say that I'm doing a fan speak mock draft whilst i'm talking to you and uh, <laughs> and the f- it's my first way somehow the, right yeah exactly the first pick has come up and uh the highest rated player still left in the board is one ed oliver of houston who i'm pretty oh, much guaranteed i'm going to make my first overall pick uh, <laughs> 13th overall so i'm just letting you know so i am now uh, at my second pick um Players left on the board, Nazir Adderley, Elton Jenkins, the Mississippi State Center, Mac Wilson. Where did Rodgerson go? Uh, I don't know, but he's not left on the board, so he has gone in the first. Let me look and see if he went in the second round. He went to... What about, you said Nasir Adderley is available. What about yeah. a, a favorite of mine, uh, Jonathan Abram at safety? Yeah, I think he's just gone, actually. Oh, did Although wow. Chauncey, Chauncey Garden-Johnson is still there. Yeah. I, I think um, you and I would both probably take Nasir Adderley above. Yeah, that, oh, definitely. I, I'm going to take Adderley. I'm going to take Adderley. I mean, this has been a strong start for the Dolphins. <laughs> anyway. What about your boy Garrett Bradbury? He's got to be gone, right? Otherwise, yeah, he's gone. Yeah, he's gone. Unfortunately, I just snapped him news, up. A bit of news that very quietly, under all the other news of the day, found its way onto my Twitter timeline this morning. The New England Patriots. Will not tag Trey Flowers. Oh. Is that something we might do, Simon? Not at five years, $85 million, which feels like it's around about the price. I mean, you know, th- that just doesn't fit in with the rebuild, you know. I mean, unless it's not a rebuild, because nobody really knows what it is. It's um, a tannin bomb rebuild. Yeah. I mean, who, who, who knows? Um, but... I mean, I would because I think he's an absolutely perfect fit, and I think he's a terrific player um, who can play in, you know, inside, outside, can rush the passer, play the run. He's tough, he's durable, um, he's got great hands. He just understands exactly what it means to be to play this defensive system. But I suspect he is incredibly expensive, and teams with more money, more cap space, will will make a play for him. And why wouldn't they? Because you know, I think he's a premier player at the position. Um, I- yeah, I, I have reservations. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. Um, no. Personally, I don't think they would, um, and I personally wouldn't either. Uh, and that's just because with the system that we're talking about, with New England's style of defense, uh, where they have a lot of defensive backs on the field, and um, they're changing, they're changing out their personnel according to situations and the requirements of the situation. Um, they tend to get pressure on the passer. You know, it's either it's either up front with the um, with the guys, you know, the the interior guys pushing the pocket, but it's also it's also with blitz pressure and um, and you know, sort of manufactured pass rush. It seems to me like that New England system. They always find pass rush. You know, they get they get a guy like um, you know a kind of sort of a mid to low level free agent like uh, 
Chris Long was um, when he was there or Jabal Sheard um, or they, you know, find Trey Flowers in the third or fourth round or, you know, that they, for the longest time, they were getting pass rush out of Rob Ninkovich, which who we know is not like a top tier pass rusher, Mm. but they were producing with him as a pass rusher. They get pass rush out of Donta Hightower blitzing. They get pass rush out of, you know, Kyle Van Noy, who they got for nothing basically from Detroit. Um, it seems like in this system, you know, maybe you've got to buy back end coverage and buy the, um, the upfront, you know, you, you really, they really do need strong upfront play from the defensive line and defensive tackles. Um, and that's why that, that defensive end that they have that they got from, uh, his name escapes me that they got from Baltimore, uh, I believe it was, um, is so important to them. But, uh, but I don't know that they you really have to pay five years, eighty five million for a pass rusher in this style of in this style of defense. You do it for Gilmore or Xavier Howard, the analog in our own uh, defensive backfield. Uh, you pay for a Minka Fitzpatrick or or you know a Devin McCourty type analog. You make sure you get a a Patrick Chung in there. You know those those sorts of guys. I don't know that you you pay for the outside pass rusher. I think that they can find it. Now a guy that. He's going to make it to free agency, as it seems. And I've been told there is some interest, as in film has been shopped around, although things might change now since everybody's going to be in place, is Alan Bailey of the Kansas City Chiefs. He kind of fits what we might need in a defensive end. Any interest, Simon? I mean, not for me, Clive. I mean... (laughs) He's Does, 29 years old. He could yeah, be I mean, cheap, under $4 million a year maybe. I mean, you look at that Chiefs defense, I'm not, um, you know, I, I know that he had one of the better seasons of his career and, you know, whether or not he's an ascending player or whether or not it's a guy performs well in final year of contract knowing he could get a decent contract coming up. You know, he's durable. He's played in a lot of games, but... I don't know. Former Hurricane? Well, former, yeah, but I mean, what does that really mean? I mean, he played for the University of Miami. Great. But I mean, it doesn't really mean anything in the grand scheme of things. And that, that whole thing about, play, we should draft more players in the U. Well, I mean, should we? I mean, we should just draft really good players. I don't care. Well, but it could mean players. if there's competition for him that we should have a leg up on the rest. Yeah, but you know, where's he been since 2015? <laughs> but seriously, you know, he had really good. <laughs> he had really good seasons playing 2014, 2015. He he fell off the grid. Why why did he fall off the grid? You know he's. Uh, I, I I don't know. I this don't is know. not Calais Campbell. Well, he no. was on injured reserve in 2016. Well, uh, that's part know. of the problem. I mean, what are you going to? What would you end up paying? Three years, thirty million, something like that. I mean, three years. I would say three years. 14 million, something like that at best. Do you think? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I'm going to, you know, that, that sort of, I think that's kind of the mid priced, mid level free agent. That exactly is, is not what interests me. (laughs) I've just Googled it here. He's looking for 12 million per season. Well, Well, yeah. Asking for 12 per season. He can just, uh, he can just buzz off for that kind of price. Actually, uh, a guy that you have liked or that we've talked about in the past um, and is uh, playing on, your uh, your NFC team, Alf, um, is uh, is Tyrone Crawford uh, is is looking like he could be on, on the cut list. You know, yeah, um, his salary might exceed. And, and it's not that he played poorly at all. He played he's played really well there, but his salary does start to get a bit unwieldy. And I wonder. Um, I would know, take he, him, and then I would, would take fit, the problem would really well. Irving too. Yeah, oh, David Irving, of course. I'd take Irving, 100%. I'd, I'd take both. i take both. <clears throat> both make perfect sense. Both p- could play in our system or whatever system it's going to be, which is it's going to be a multiple type system. Yeah. I don't know but, if Irving fits what Patrick Graham really described, defensive coordinator Patrick Graham, when he talked about what he looks for in his players. I don't know that that's – yeah, I don't know that he really fits it too well, or, whereas I think Tyrone Crawford – does fit it really well and especially what they like to do with trey flowers in new england you know moving i mean he he pass rushed from the inside so much mm-hmm. and crawford um has spent basically half of his time on the defensive line uh 
you know, half of his time at defensive end, but half of it pass rushing the interior from defensive tackle. And, um, and so he, he'd, he'd be a good fit. But I, overall, overall, I mean, unless it's, it's somebody that I, I could really feel pretty good about it like that, um, you know, I, I would rather – they just got a guy, Tank Carradine, right? Mm-hmm. And this is a guy that we liked in the draft once upon a time. He's kind of had a ho-hum career. He has played. Um, he's had some injuries and stuff like that. Um, they got him for nothing. They got him for nothing. And, and then you're going to pay ten times that amount for Alan Bailey? Um, even Alan Bailey's not ten times the player. Well, I have my <laughs> doubts. I have my, I have my, I have serious doubts that he's going to get that type of money. I, well, I mean, out. ten times, ten times what, ten times what Tank Carradine's getting is five million here. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um. So uh, you know that that's what I'm saying though is like I don't I don't want that mid level, you know, free agent six million dollars a year, seven million dollars a year, eight million dollars a year for this team when they don't care when they're just like totally fucking off in 2019 they don't they don't they don't care well, um, i'll give you another one i'll give you another one okay we don't have many buyers here okay simon and chris are not buying what i'm selling so i'm <laughs> selling this how about alex okafer from the saints he has that ninkovich look there i say would he make some type of well, assignment he's juicy who cares? <laughs> you said the Ninkovich look, right? Yeah, he has a Ninkovich look where he could be the type of guy, the kind of cheap uh, slash pass rusher edge type that we might be looking for. Uh, maybe. Uh, and if he's I, juicing, I, that's, a, that's a bonus. I think that um, I think that they got a guy already in Tank Carradine for very cheap that, that could kind of fill a, a role – and I'm not sure that they're going to be interested. I guess it depends on what Okafor's price tag is going to be. If we're talking like a million a year, then then we're starting to get into it. But um, otherwise, I'm not sure that they would really be interested. Actually, the guy that I, I passed passed by and talked about a little bit is um, Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, who Marion Hobby is going to be familiar with, is Laurenti McRae, who is sort of a pass rush specialist. Mm-hmm. special teams captain very low paid guy um and and also by the way you know the last two years he's been a defensive end under marion hobby and been like a sort of a sub package pass rusher and he's put up efficiency numbers as far as pressure percentage and stuff like that that rivals cameron wake um so you know that could be more up their up their alley because he's so cheap and because he's like a good overall dude and special teams captain you know i think that that's the level that that's their speed right now is they're going to look for good and if you think about like some of the things that bill parcells did when he first got here in 2008 um i think that there's going to be a lot of similarity there and and maybe maybe remember randy starks was their most was probably their biggest free agent acquisition back then mm-hmm. and randy starks made like what four million a year um and great player by the way uh, I love, great player i love yeah. time here yeah but yeah i mean but the, but that's sort of that's sort of where i think that we're heading is is you know maybe one of those mid-level guys and then a bunch of really low level um they had they had like a corner that they signed for really low money too that that was supposed mm. to start and then they got cut in camp um you know and and back then josh josh mccown was supposed to be the quarterback uh yeah yeah i I think it's going to be stuff like that all right now we've been talking about a lot of low level free agents there's one guy who's not going to be low level and i'll give you a little preamble in which is chris greer this week said that he will allow his position coaches to make decisions based on their evaluations on who they want to keep this free agency period and Pat Flaherty, who, who is the new offensive line coach of the Miami Dolphins, were been reported by Barry Jackson or speculated on by Barry Jackson that he wishes to have Jawan James back. Simon, how do you meet this news and how far or how deep are you willing to go to keep Jawan James? I mean, I, I, two things. I'd keep him because I think that otherwise you'd, you'd, you're just replacing him with somebody else. Uh, and you have to find a pick that you could use, you know, you've got a serviceable, more than serviceable player. Um, obviously, the money has to be right. Um, but 
otherwise you're then looking for somebody else. But finding good right tackle playing in the NFL isn't easy. Um, and I think you, you know, we've talked about this before, but I think if you're getting average to slightly above average play at that position, you're doing pretty well. And I think he's one of the better right tackles in the NFL. He's not perfect, far from it. Um, but he generally is a pretty decent player. I wouldn't want to be spending. I mean, I read something today that, that, that said the Dolphins were potentially going to make him, it was in the Herald actually, it was in Barry's piece talking about what Pat Flatt had said that, that the Dolphins were potentially looking at making him the most expensive right tackle in the NFL, which would make me nervous. Not nervous. It's not my money. I couldn't give a fuck. But, um, <laughs> you know, g- generally, you know, I, I kind of don't want to win the off season anymore. I want to kind of win in season. And I'm not necessarily sure that the first move that the, the new era Dolphins should make is making, you know, a, decent but not brilliant right tackle the most expensive right you know the most well-paid right tackle in the nfl um so i kind of want would want to see what the money is before i committed to him but overall i you know i i kind of want to keep him i think i'll play devil's advocate here because when i when i saw that quote from flaherty and i originally saw it on um I think it was Saturday uh, because it was in the transcript of all the assistants, uh, their interviews that happened, I think last Friday. I didn't really think it was that big of a deal. What he said, he, he was just like, you know, he's asked about Jawan James and he was like, Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'd love to love to have him back. I've seen all his games and, you know, he's pretty talented and, you know, wonder if we can make it work. Um, it didn't seem like that big of a, an endorsement to me. And it also was like, you know, yeah, if the price is right, and if the price is right, doesn't sound like making him the highest paid right tackle in the league to me. And in fact, if that's the case, then I'm going to let him go off and get that money from somewhere else and then collect the compensatory pick for it um, as long as they don't screw up the, the, the formula. Um, and, and, and it's going to be, if it's going to be that high, it's going to be a third rounder too. So it's going to be a significant pick. Uh, I think that, you let them go and then you just, you know, I can pick guys that can play right tackle. Um, Jesse Davis can go off and play right tackle. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not that the Jesse Davis train. You didn't oh, God, that makes last me, year. That makes me nervous. Like, <laughs> just, Jesse Davis starting makes me worried enough. To Jesse, think Davis, Jesse, Jesse, Jesse Davis says right tackle for J, Jake Rudock doesn't turn you on. <laughs> I mean, I think I'd rather uh, – I don't even know what I'd rather do, but Christ knows it wouldn't be any. It wouldn't be that. Well, this is this is the way I see it. Okay, I have here in front of me the base salaries, the highest base salaries for right tackles in the NFL for next season. Okay, Lane Johnson's number one at ten point eight million dollars. Yep. Okay, then you have Ricky Wagner at nine million, Leo Collins at eight point five, Ryan Schrader, who's really good, at six point two five. Okay, but these are guys that are coming off to their second contract. Lane Johnson is the one that kind of qualifies with Jawan James as far as what he could be asking for. I don't think that Jawan James can really command a contract higher than Lane Johnson's. So he should be in that nine to 10 range, nine to 11 range. So I say, why not? <laughs> Look at the salary cap. You want to open up a hole at right tackle? Why not have your bookends ready for the next four or five years? And that way you have less work to do on that offensive line because God knows you already need an entire interior offensive line. If you now jettison your, your right tackle too, now you need an entire offensive line except for your left tackle. So I think he's not a guy that we can afford to lose. And if you can get him for that type of deal, why not? I'm not convinced. I think that $10 million a year, you're talking about a significant sum of money. Uh, for a right tackle, you can you can get right tackles. You can get solid right tackle play. Um, Laramie Tunsil is going to be here, and Laramie Tunsil deserves to be here, and Laramie Tunsil is going to cost a pretty penny to be here. I'm, I don't want to have to pay, you know, $25 million a year for my tackle bookends for guys that we've had playing at the tackle bookends for two years now, and that, honestly – has it been that impressive? I mean, I know the Laramie Tunsil has been impressive for some of the time, especially this last year, but mm-hmm. um, Joan James has been very up and down. Every other year he misses half the season, basically injured. Um, I, I don't, I'm just not going to do it. I, I, I can find a right tackle. If you're a good GM 
what'd you get Reggie McKenzie here for? What'd you get, you know, Marvin Allen here for if it's not to be able to find a right tackle? I mean, that you, that you need to pay for that? I don't think, I, I don't buy it. I would not do it. Um, I would let him go off and I'd collect the compensatory pick. The, it's a harder question, quite frankly, with Cameron Wake, uh, even though he's, he's ancient and we don't care about the 2019 record, evidently. Um, but he's, he's such a good player and he's so, you know, he's such a good presence on this team. And Lord knows he deserves better than to give, be given short shrift by the team. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's a harder decision. And even on that, I'm like, let him go and collect the compensatory pick for that as well. So, you know, I'll take a pass on this, on both of, on that you, guy. You, you can see them picking up somebody like the, the Adrian Waddle, the Patriots mm-hmm. guy, the backup right tackle, to mm-hmm. Marcus Cannon, and, uh, you know, if, if that's the path they chose to go down. Or somebody that gets cut so that, so that it won't interfere with the compensatory yeah. form. Yeah. Yeah. Now that we're on our way out here, let's just do a little bit of general NFL talk. And let me throw this question out to you both. First you, Simon. Why is it that all these super talented wide receivers are all crazy? Because Antonio Brown has essentially lost his mind. On, and Odell Beckham. Uh, yeah. Oh, Odell Beckham has been crazy. But on, yeah, Antonio yeah. Brown is, is newly crazy. Newly crazy. Yeah. I think he's been crazy for a while, hasn't he? I mean, I saw that quote where he was fine when he was Antonio Brown, then when he became AB, he became a bit of a head case. And that's what receivers are like, right? I mean, they've always, throughout history, they've been, you know, Diva Rich. I can remember going to the Pittsburgh Carolina game in mid season in Pittsburgh where the Steelers won like 52 7 or 52 14 or whatever. And even though the game was a blowout, we, you know, we, and you know what it's like when you're in the media, you go downstairs with four minutes, usually about four minutes to go in the game. You go downstairs to the locker room so that you're there and the players come through. And we went down and Brown came off the field with about three and a half minutes left in the game. Um, and his team was still out there. They were ahead. And by the time we got into the locker room, he was leaving the locker room. He had this massive fur coat on. And, uh, I, I, you know, look, you can only say what you see. Uh, but it just felt like he wasn't part of the team. In fact, yeah. he came off the field on his own whilst the game was still going on. He was chatting to his girlfriend and his long-term girlfriend. There were like three or four kids running around and stuff. I mean, by the time all the other players had come in, AB was coming out, and he, like I say, he was dressed very, you know, he was an extra, he's an extravagant man, and it just didn't feel like he was connected to the team. And what I thought was quite intriguing was that it was a game in which Juju Smith-Schuster had a, a big night. Yes, I remember that. And Smith-Schuster had, so he caught the 80-yard touchdown, whatever, and he, he went and did the podium. So, you, you know, the quarterback, the head coach, and the best other player go and do the podium for the media where you can sit and ask a load of questions. When he came back into the locker room, normally what happens is you can talk to the guy who comes off the podium, if they're not a quarterback anyway, just to have a chat with them. And so I wanted to go over and talk to Smith Schuster because I wanted to do a piece on Smith Schuster for the magazine. And he was, uh, you know, lots of other journalists and he went near him and he was like, I'm not doing any interviews, not doing any interviews, just done a load of podium stuff. And you just think, oh, Gigi, come on, dude. This, you're a second-year receiver. Let's uh, hope, you know, I hope Brown's sort of deverish behavior isn't rubbing off on you. So you end up talking to Darius Hayward Bay and to Ryan Switzer and guys like that who are lovely, but you just sort of thought, it just left a bit of an uncomfortable taste in the mouth to think that crikey is, you know, is this Brown rubbing off on you or is this just, you know, you're just tired and because you caught like seven passes for 180 yards and a couple of touches and a couple of touchdowns and don't be a, don't be a diva. So I, I, I don't know, you know, that's just a, a tiny snapshot, but I mean, receivers are freaks, aren't they? They're just fucking morons. <laughs> Makes you wonder if the problem with, like, you know, Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grants, they're just too nice. Cool. Like, like they need to be assholes. And then, and <laughs> then they Kenny. really explode. <laughs> now, what do you guys uh, – we're about to get out of here, but what do you guys make of all these rumors about Odell Beckham almost being traded to the New England Patriots last year? First you, Chris. Ah, fuck them. <laughs> That's all I got to say. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, the Patriots, what have you got to lose if you're in New England? Mm-hmm. You know, you've got so many picks in the, in the first in the first three rounds. You're looking at a bit of, you know, the, the, there's a Super Bowl legacy. We're kidding ourselves if we think the Patriots are going away anytime soon. They're not. You know, it feels like Brady is declining, but, you know, 
he declined enough to win a Super Bowl. I mean, and they're not, <laughs> but it's true. They're not going anywhere. You know, you re-signed Trent Brown. I guarantee they will not go undefeated next year. Okay. Uh, no, they won't go undefeated, but I guarantee you they'll be in the playoffs. I'm curious about all the coaches they've lost and, you know, yeah. and I don't, it's I don't know end. if they're done. I don't know it's if the they're end. done. It's over. Coaches. It's over. It's the end. <laughs> it's definitely not the end. It's the end for me because I'm going to bed, but you know, it's not the end for them. All right, guys. That's it. There is no more. Next week, we start talking Combine, and we ramp up our draft coverage. But till then. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.